All right. Good morning. Welcome to Fremont E Free, or welcome back to Fremont E Free. We are in our fourth grade studio, fourth grade classroom recording studio. It's actually the second day of spring, so that's pretty exciting. And today we are talking about Acts chapter thirteen. I'm joined today by Seth Raymer, who preached yesterday, so we wanted his expert opinion in on the podcast today. So. Seth, I think maybe the best way for us to start in the way that we typically do is just kind of reflecting on how the passage affected us personally. Now, as the guy who preached yesterday, and I know this is from my own preaching, like I'm always the one who benefits the most. There's no question about it because I spend hours in the text and there's just a benefit to that, right? And so I have no question that yesterday the person who benefited most was you, Mm -hmm. um, just because I know that's the way it works with preaching if we're doing it correctly. So... All that to say, I would love to hear for you, like what were the things that stuck out to you in Acts 13, 1 to 12 that God was pressing on your heart personally as you were preparing last week and as you preached yesterday? Mm, yeah, so it's it's always interesting to get up and preach the church because so often you're preaching to yourself, right? Yeah. And seeing God's, for me, what was so powerful was seeing just God's love, uh, man, for his people and, and sending Barnabas and Saul to Cyprus to go and proclaim the gospel. And recognize that, man, it's it's just that love for them, right? That that they haven't yet heard the gospel and, and he's drawing them unto salvation. That's really um, driving him to go, uh, driving driving him to commission them, right? Um, working in uh, ball, uh, sorry, Saul and Barnabas's heart to make them submissive to go and then overcoming um, the demonic opposition that they encounter on the island. And so for me, it's just it was just seeing God's jealous love for his people as he is on mission to go and to reach them. And I, you know, that's kind of why I tied in that World War II analogy, right? Going yeah. behind enemy lines, because I really do see like God, like the Holy Spirit is like a warrior in this passage. Like he is going, right, into enemy territory to go save his people. And so I guess the, the more I read it, I just kind of caught that picture of um, kind of like the Gospel of Mark picture of Jesus as being like this spiritual warrior. And here I see the Holy Spirit, man, just viciously fighting for the people of God as he's sending forth his gospel to go and and draw them to salvation. Yeah, good. I I thought um, yesterday what you talked about, the the World War II analogy was helpful for me to think about opposition. that we are we are going into opposition. In fact, if the analogy you gave yesterday is that if you're going to D-Day, you'd expect to encounter some opposition when you get on the beach, right? And I think in general, I mean, if you think of any war analogy or any sports analogy, right? Like you don't expect to go in the football field and think, well, the defense is just going to let us score. There's going to be some opposition, <laughs> right. right? And there's going to be some opposition in war. And and obviously, the the connection with the warfare element in Ephesians six, like we are in a spiritual battle, right? And so I think um, that that was one of two things that stuck out to me yesterday is just this thinking about the reality of opposition and how, in particular, we should expect to face opposition. Because um, I, I think what I've noticed even in my own heart is as as there's things going on in the culture that are decidedly not Christian, like in decidedly anti-Christian, that I I almost get discouraged to the point that I think, what what's going on here? Or... Um, you know, I think some people even question, well, is is what I'm believing true? Like, given that the culture is all pushing in this direction, like, is this actually true? Um, but the reality is, like, opposition should not discourage us to think, well, maybe this isn't true, right? It should just be a reminder to us, this is just the way it is, that there is going to be opposition. In the same way that we would, if we were headed on to the beaches of Normandy, we would expect we're going to take some fire, right? Like, And so... 
as I think about things that the culture is really pushing back on, in particular now it's things like sexuality and gender or whatever, you can fill in a long list of cultural hot button issues. Like it should not surprise us that the, the culture around us is pushing back in opposition, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, it should encourage us that the word of God is true um, and, and that this is what Jesus said would happen. So that, that's mm-hmm. one thing I was thinking. I, I, I do think... I think we get surprised sometimes when we face opposition as if something strange were happening to us. When in reality, this is just what we are told is going to happen. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, we should anticipate. The enemy doesn't want to give up power, right? Yeah. It's that quote, what do men with power want? They want more power. Well, Satan himself, I mean, he's consumed with self-worship. He desires influence over people's eyes, over the culture, over nations, right? As much power as he can have. And so he is going to fight right, to maintain that power over people. He wants them in bondage, right? right? He wants them to be his sons and daughters going about caring about his will. He doesn't want them to know the Lord. And so, yeah, we can expect that if we come and bring the gospel, he's going to put up a fight. Um, and you have a fight on a couple friends at that point because you're having to, you know, the gospel wars against our flesh. <laughs> our flesh is resistant to it. Yeah. But then you also do have, like we see with Bar Jesus, like a demonic influence as well that is also war- waging war against uh, the work of the Spirit and the gospel to draw men unto salvation. Yeah. So, yeah, we, ru- we run into opposition on multiple fronts. So how do you think, like you're you're uh, um, working with our students, right? Like how do you think a passage like this is encouraging for students who are in high school or middle school? Like what 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 encouragement do you think they can take from a passage like this in relation to maybe some of the things that they see happening in their schools? Uh, I think in part not being surprised when they do run into opposition, right? Because they're going to run into classmates who... Uh, will be just kind of antagonistic towards the gospel when they hear about it. And for them to recognize, like, okay, like, Paul and Barnabas ran into this same thing, I think will help be encouraging for them um, to recognize, like, man, really strong men of the Lord, like, they've been down this road before. Um, But I think also it can be encouraging to them because I think a lot of students, I mean, people in general are hungry to be part of something bigger than themselves. And I think recognizing the calling that God is Put upon believers the commission that he's given to us to go and to join him in waging war against the enemy and proclaiming the gospel that people can be brought out of bondage to the devil to become children of God and believe in him and have this walk with him. I think students are hungry right. um, to be a part of that. And it, it's an incredible, I mean, it's 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 an incredible calling that we have received from God. And I think when they begin to see that and they see how God is jealously going about this in the book of Acts and recognizing that he's calling into the same thing, I think they're hungry to jump in and be a part of that mission because they recognize, man, there is meaning, there's purpose behind this. And so many youth in our culture, they're starving for purpose. Why am I here? What is my life about? Right. And so, yeah, I... I think those are just some of the ways, man, where they'd be really encouraged reading a passage like this. Yeah, it's good. I think, in fact, some of the cultural idols really are, are trying to call people to belonging or to a sense of purpose, right? Yes. And, and yes. what we're saying is there's actually something better, right? And mm. that better is to follow Christ and to realize that we're on mission with Him. And, yes. And so I, I do think there's a longing that we see in culture for the transcendent and for something that is beyond themselves. But... Sadly, what the culture offers up is is false idols, right? And they're they're saying, well, do this and you'll experience transcendence or do this and you'll experience a sense of purpose. And and what we're saying is when we follow Christ, that's when we actually experience that. And and by the way, that's not just applicable for students. That's applicable for adults as well, right? That I think um, 
the more we realize like we're called to be a part of something epically big as well. That calls us out of the normal humdrum of everyday life to mm. say, uh, you know, our, our goal isn't just to live out the American dream. That's too small, right? That mm. that can't be our goal. Our goal has to be to live for something bigger than that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And this is something that, like I said, I have to preach to myself because at Menards, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with uh, a lot of my coworkers. And uh, one of the challenges of being in ministry is <laughs> you're around Christian people all yeah. day, every day, right? And so your opportunities to share the gospel become a little bit more limited. And there's just a part of that missional element that I have personally felt like ah, like I've been more hungry for, I've been missing yeah. for, I've been I've been feeling like, man, I you know I need to be about this. And so again, when I preach this message, I'm just like. Lord, I'm say, I'm telling myself, Seth, will you go? Yeah. Like, who is God calling you to go and share the gospel with, right? And there are some students, you know, that are non, you know, that probably don't know the Lord that I'm thinking about talking to. But then yeah. even some of my neighbors that I've been talking to, that I'm just like, okay, God, you know, give me opportunities to go and to talk to them, um, because I think as believers. Uh, we usually don't want to engage in that because it's you know it's 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 difficult and it's scary right to go and to go and talk to people about the gospel. But the sense of joy and purpose um, you get when you actually are obedient to go and to do that is so incredible. Yeah. Um, and when God's given me the boldness to go and do that, I'm just always so 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 grateful, so thankful that man that that he did that he gave me that that go to. Um, to see that because it's, I don't know, it's just, it's very rewarding. Yeah. And a side benefit of it is because it is scary, you do have to pray more and you yeah. learn to depend more on the Holy Spirit's guiding. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, in, in fact, maybe part of the reason why we don't pray all that much is because we're not engaged on missing that much and we don't feel the urgency to mm. pray as much. Um, and, you know, I, I resonate with you. Like my struggles are similar. Where it's, try, it's trying to figure out where did non-believers come from in my life because of what I do for a job. And I recognize, as you said, there's people in our church who attend every week who probably aren't believers, and there's certainly some evangelism to be done there. But outside of that, it's a bit of a challenge for me to figure out what does that look like. But mm. I think I think you're asking the right question to say, like, not you know, who else will go, but like, am I going to go? Am I yeah. going to do the hard work of of depending on the Holy Spirit and trying to share Christ with lost people? Mm. So, yeah, it's good. Um, another thing that stuck out to me, I, I mentioned there was two things. Um, you know, I was really struck by the list of people in verse one, it's a pretty diverse group, right? And, and diverse in a lot of different ways. So you have Barnabas, who we know a little bit more about. Simeon, who's called Niger, who we don't know really much at all, other than that Niger is a Latin word meaning black or dark, right? Yep. So he's probably African, as you pointed out yesterday. Yep. Lucius of Cyrene, if I remember correctly from your map yesterday, Cyrene was also in Africa as well. Yep. Um, then you have Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, which I would assume mean he's well-connected and probably, probably affluent, I think we'd have to say. And then you have Saul, this guy who comes from a, a strong Jewish background, um, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, if you will, um, and then he's rescued. So you, you have this kind of really interesting collection of people, and um, you know we talked a lot last night in Gospel Community Group about this particular aspect of the diversity that the gospel brings, mm. or the the maybe a better way of saying it is that the unity of the gospel is able to overcome diversity, right? Like that there's a love for Christ that enables us to overcome diversity, or Maybe our lack of diversity or the things that would separate us. Maybe that's what I'm trying to yeah. get at. Like that the love of Christ is able to unite us across these boundaries, which in this case aren't just racial, they're geographic, they're also right. socioeconomic. 
And so, you know, I, I thought a lot about last night. Um, you know, I, I think most most American churches struggle with this. Mm-hmm. And it's not just churches in Nebraska, right? Like, you know, I, the church I was at in New York was a much different demographic, but there was still a struggle to be diverse. Um, and so I guess the question I would have for you, and I don't know that I necessarily have an answer, but like how... How, how does this happen, right? Like, how do we... Mm. So let, let me backtrack a second and say, like, in our culture, there's obviously been a push for more racial diversity and racial equality, which I think, on the surface, that's a good desire, right? To have more um, unity across these boundaries. But I think what we've discovered is what our culture is offering up doesn't actually bring unity. It's actually brought more diversity. Like, I think since we've had more conversation in the last couple of years as a culture it seems to actually be fracturing us more rather oh, than bringing sure. us together. So mm-hmm. clearly the gospel is the one thing that can unite people across these boundaries. I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get at is like, why do you think that's such a struggle for the church? Like, mm-hmm. um, because we, we tend to not reflect this real well, at least from my observation here. Mm-hmm. Like, so h- how do we, how do we get better at this? Seth? Like what, how can we reflect more of Acts 13 one? Do you think, Man, I think, you know, we got to continue to grow in our love for God and our love for each other. I think um, there are a lot of, I I think that a lot of times we just don't really go deep in our walk with the Lord and we allow things that are still fairly superficial to divide us. And And I think a lot of that has been also aggravated by, you know, by the culture. Um, I think for for some Christians, you know, or, or for anyone, if you have propaganda, you know, you feel like being thrown in your face for a while. After a while, it starts to make you irritable into, into where something that maybe was a superficial issue, and you know it should be a superficial issue, right, starts to become a dividing point in a lot of churches. I think what we have to get back to is the truth. We have to get mm-hmm. away from the message of the culture. What does God's Word say, Right. And God word, God's word says that, man, if someone has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right, like that, that they are family. They're my brothers or my sisters. Jesus says, who are my brothers and who are my sisters? Are, not, are they not those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven? Right. And so I think coming to recognition of like, man, no matter your skin color, no matter your background, right, no matter what geographic or, as you said, socioeconomic Um, position you come from if you believe in Christ like you are my brother and sister in Christ right and I'm called to love you by by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another and as such I am committed to building you up to encouraging you to being there for you loving you supporting you in any way I can right and we what I love in the early part of Acts is we see such a beautiful picture of this yeah Uh, in the early churches they are literally selling their possessions right to provide for each other and so I think it just, we just have to get back to what does the Word of God say? What does it call me to? And as we grow in our love for God and our love for one another, we begin to reflect, man, much of the church that we're seeing here in the book of Acts. Yeah, that's good. I think I think the goal does have to be love God first, love others, right? And not, so I don't think the goal can be, let's be diverse. That That's not the mm, goal, right? The goal absolutely. is love God and love others. And as that happens, then diversity will be a byproduct of that. And if there's not diversity, now sometimes I understand like, you know, we're, we're given where we live in Fremont, Nebraska, like there are certain um, ethnic um, demographics that just aren't present, right? Like, so we're not going to reflect the whole like global um, diversity that <laughs> right. exists in Fremont that, because right. that's just not present in our town. I understand absolutely. that. like. But I do think that there will be more diversity that extends across 
age boundaries or socioeconomic boundaries or the racial boundaries that do exist if we're loving God and loving others. But I, I think I think the problem is like in part you're right, like because the culture is having this discussion and having in ways that sometimes we feel uncomfortable with, like we tend to we tend to not we, we, we tend to be so against the way it's being had that we don't even want to have the conversation at all. Right. And I think what we can't do is say, well, you know, the culture has bungled this, so let's just stop talking about it. Like, I think we have to say, well, look, look, look at what happens here in Acts 13. Mm. This is amazing. Like, this, this is awesome. Like, but I do think it starts with the love for Christ. And then uh, the love for others is what causes it to go across these boundaries, right? Like, Amen. So again, like the goal can't be first diversity. The diversity is a byproduct of a love for Christ and a love for others. And I think sometimes when we we say, well, this is the goal, we're missing the point. Like, mm. um, now that's not to say, you know, there's probably intentional steps we can still take, right? Like, um, to try to figure out because it seems like they're taking intentional steps, right? They're going yeah. places, they're yeah. going across boundaries, they're 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 taking steps that are they're not just sitting back and saying, well, diversity will just come. Like, they're actually reaching out to people who don't look like mm. them, but it's motivated by a love for Christ and a love for others, and so. I think I guess my encouragement even to myself is like just because the culture may be bungling how this discussion happens doesn't mean that we can't still have it and that we shouldn't yeah. have it in light of what we read in the Word of God, right? Amen. I, I and I pray that this does happen more actually, but I, I think you're right to say that it starts with a love for the Lord first and a love for others. That's mm. that's where it's going to happen. Mm. Um, not just by us like pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and saying let's make this happen. But this is beautiful, right? Like I, I read this yesterday in Acts thirteen one, or when when you read it and started talking about that. This is like, especially as you start talking about their backgrounds, I was thinking, wow, this is a really diverse kind of motley crew, right? Like, <laughs> yep. and it's awesome. Like it's it it's awesome to think like the only thing that could actually explain that is a common love for Christ. Mm. And so I, I long to have that, um, not just for the sake of having diversity, but because it does demonstrate something about the gospel. Oh my word, it does. Right. In our world today, I mean, we're looking at a culture, yeah, yeah, that is increasingly divided because the world doesn't have the answer uh, to this kind of unity amidst diversity. Yeah. But man, God does, right? He is, uh, He is unity amidst diversity, right? Yeah. The Trinity being made up of three different people, and His church is a reflection of who He is. Yeah. And in that love and that unity that's bound up in the Trinity, that with our union then with Christ overflows into the church, that is the only answer. Yeah. Um, to see that, and I think you're. Right. I think it is also very dem- uh, demonstrative of the uh, the um, the situation that they see in Antioch, because that was a very cosmopolitan community. Yep. Is where they already had all these people present. And the gospel is going out to all men, and so God's drawing men from every tribe and nation yep. and tongue into fellowship here. Yeah, and and I, I do think we have to be fair in saying like that that was their context, yep. right? Like so. You know, if, if you live on a college town, if you live in a huge university town and there's um, students coming from all over the nations to come to your university, like there should be a bit more diversity than maybe we have in Fremont, Nebraska. Yeah. But I, I do think um, for us, like the goal of of loving Christ and loving others should eventually extend a place where we're seeing people come in who are from all different walks of life. Mm. And, and maybe, again, it's not going to be the same as as maybe it was in Antioch, because we're, you know, I don't think anyone described Fremont as a cosmopolitan <laughs> city. Um, but there, there should be a diversity that does, that, that is just enough for people in the community to say, wait a minute, like, wh- why, are, why are they meeting together? Like, mm. what, what's their connection, right? Um, 
Because I, I think that's what you're even talking about in John 13, that by this all men will know we are disciples, by our love for one another. And that, I think that love sometimes is most powerful when it is crossing these boundaries that other people are like, okay, wait a minute, what's your connection here? Like, how do yeah. you guys know each mm. other? Like, why, why do you spend time together? And it's because we love Jesus, right? Like, that, that, that should be a byproduct of what's happening if we're loving Christ and loving others. Amen. All right, one, one other thing I wanted to ask you about... Um, so this is this is really interesting in verse four, and actually we see this quite a bit in Acts, and I think we're going to see it coming up also. Um, I was just reading somewhere this morning where this spirit is kind of guiding and directing people. So verse four is what I'm, I'm thinking of here. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then I, I know later on Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he he drops his kind of infamous line in verse 10, you son of the devil, right? Like, right. Um, let's talk practically here for a second. Like, what does it mean to be sent out by the Holy Spirit? How, how do you think that happened? <laughs> and what does that look like for us living in 2022? Sure, sure. Yeah, well, as I was studying this, you know, there, uh, you know, obviously that you have prophets and teachers at this point. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the Bible commentators, I think that, some of these guys were exercising their gift of prophecy given them by the Holy Spirit. And even if you are a cessationist, right, you would agree that with the early church, this was happening. <laughs> because sure. Acts clearly describes that. It's pretty um, obvious it's happening. Yes, right? yeah. yes, because the early church does see a lot of prophets, right? Um, who went, like we saw Agabus just a couple chapters sure. back who was talking about um, this coming. And so, it's th- and so a lot of them think that perhaps, yeah, this was um, some of these prophets, you know, some of these uh, some of these five guys, they were sensing the Holy Spirit saying, set apart for me. Oh yeah, verse uh, two. You're Barnabas. talking about verse two. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Verse two, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And so a lot of commentators would think uh, that that was uh, coming through the mouth of one of the prophets at the church at Antioch. Um, other commentators are like, hey, the text itself doesn't say, so let's not say anything that th- the text itself isn't sure. saying. Either way, they got the impression, man, from the Holy Spirit that this is what God is calling them to, right? Yep. And so um, I think for us as believers, and this is one of the points I tried to make, that I think, yeah, understanding what the Holy Spirit is calling us to, man, comes from just growing in a relationship with God. Um, it's hard to know His will if you're not spending time in His Word. Yep. Um, it's it, it's hard um, to have a deep and abiding relationship with Him if you're not coming to Him in prayer, regularly seeking His face. Yep. But I think as we do that, right, as we as we're involved in just loving God, drawing near to Him, worshiping Him, being obedient to His Word, the more the Holy Spirit, I mean, really does guide your thinking and, and begins to guide your actions more. Yeah. And there are times where I've just been like, you know, going places and driving somewhere and I'll just sense, just get this nudge, like I'll see someone broken down on the side of the road and just get this nudge, like Seth, pull over, go help that person. Yeah. You know, and it's, and a lot of times like, man, that I, I'm convinced that was the Holy Spirit. Now you have to be careful with that because not every voice that you hear in your head is the Holy Spirit, right? Right. Um, but I think that the key to really knowing when uh, the Holy Spirit is calling us to do stuff is just being rooted and grounded in our relationship with the Lord. And then when he calls us to, to stuff, you see in verse 3, right? It says that they received this calling and it says, and then after fasting and praying, so there seems to be that they're continuing to fast, they're continuing to pray, right? After they receive this, like yeah. they're ensuring like, okay, like is this from God, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And in the same way, I think we need to test what we think we're hearing with the word of God, um, with godly people who love the Lord, yeah. right? 
right? Who can give mm-hmm. us good counsel. And I think with that, as we're doing that, if we're if we're feeling this affirmation and this conviction, like I need to go and do this, then and and it, it lines up with God's word and godly counsel, then man, I yeah. say pursue it. Yeah, I think the and someone pointed this out last night our gospel king group the it's it's bracketed right um the verse two while they were worshiping the lord and fasting the holy spirit said and on the back end then after fasting and praying like fasting and praying right. does seem to be a huge connection so mm-hmm. if, if you're a person who's saying well I, I wish i could be loved by the holy spirit more well you know spending time in the word fasting praying would be a good place to start yep. um and then I, I think what you said was good like you know, we always have to test it to make sure, like, okay, we, we think that the Spirit is maybe leading us to do this, but is this consistent with what the Word teaches? Is this, you know, seeking God the counsel? Like, in the case of, you know, you're driving on the road and you think, oh, you know, the Spirit's prompting me to pull over and help this person. Well, it's hard to see how that would contradict Scripture, right? You'd right. say, even if it's not the Spirit, it seems like it's probably a good thing to do, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that the Spirit can prompt us in that way. And, and I would agree with you, the more that we're actively walking and communing with God on a daily basis, the Spirit will be guiding us more and more because our mind's being transformed. Yep. As yeah. we're spending time in the Word, as we're praying, as we're fasting, um, which you know maybe fasting is another discussion too, that maybe we just don't do that enough. Like mm. if, if we're wanting to be led by the Spirit, like... It's pretty interesting that we just don't fast. But mm. anyway, if, if we were spending more time in the Word and praying, then I would suspect that we would be doing a lot more Spirit-led things. Um, so I, I think that's a good point that you're, you're making that connection because I think there, that connection is clearly in the text, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it takes it takes that connection with God. I mean, that's one of the big passages that's had a huge impact on my life is John 15. Um, where Jesus talks about how he is the vine and we are the branches, right? In verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. There's this context of just remaining in Christ, growing in him, being connected to him. And as we do that, we begin to bear fruit, right? Because we're walking by the Spirit. And like you said, he's transforming our mind. He's transforming our heart, our desires, um, and really leading us so that, yeah, we are more obedient to what it is that the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. Yeah, good. Follow follow up to that in a related topic. Let's see, verse 9. But Saul, who's called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Okay, so we can talk more about what Paul said here in a second, but like, what... What, is it, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, do you think? Because I think we would agree, like, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, so what, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then? Like, aren't, don't we have the Spirit to start right. with? So what, what does that mean, do you think? Right. Well, I mean, we, uh, I, we learned from, I believe it's Ephesians 1, that every believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay. So from the moment we believe, um, man, we receive the Holy Spirit as God's seal that we belong to Him. Um, but as believers, uh, I think that that even though you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, um, if you're neglecting your walk with Christ, um, you're not always going to be abiding in the Spirit. In fact, you know we see from Romans seven that we have our flesh that is constantly waging war against the Spirit, right? And Galatians uh, uh, five also talks about this, and you know how they are set against each other, so you do not do what you want to do. And so I think that we may have the Holy Spirit as believers, we're sealed with Him, um, but if we're not abiding in Christ, then a lot of times our flesh is going to have, um, it, it is going to be waging war against the Spirit and make it so often we don't do the things um, that we sense that God is calling us to do. 
Um, but I think for this case where Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit, you see the Holy Spirit has overcome yeah. his flesh and what his flesh would have him say at this point and is driving home the message that God himself wants to speak. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and I think the lesson for us is that, man, in our flesh, we may, we may, ha we may be sealed with the Holy Spirit, but in our flesh can still hinder um, the work that we want to do. And so we need the Holy Spirit to come and to push out right? To, to, to set our flesh aside and to cause us, man, to be obedient, to do the things he's calling us to do, to say the things he's calling us to say. And here in Acts 13, we have a good example, um, man, of Paul being fully filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah. um, guiding his speech right. um, and what he ends up pronouncing on Bar Jesus. Right. Yeah, I don't. So I don't think we're saying like this is a second charismatic filling. Like the, some oh, churches no, would say that, not. and we're not saying that. But I think it is a daily. Like so, there. It's interesting in Ephesians one. There's the talk of it being sealed by the Holy Spirit, which I think does happen in the moment of salvation. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But then in Ephesians five, Paul goes on to say, "And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Right. And so it seems like it's a constant daily thing to try to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Right. To be filled. And again, I think it's connected to prayers, connected to the word, it's connected to spending time in fellowship with God's people. Like as we're doing that, like we're we're cultivating the spirit's work in our life and we're going to do things that are more led by the spirit and less mm -hmm. by the flesh. Like mm -hmm. you know, I know my own life, if I'm not spending time in the word or prayer or with God's people, like oftentimes what happens is fleshly reactions, like oh, yeah. um rather than spirit-filled reactions. And so I think this idea of being filled with the Spirit is something that we're just fighting for on a constant basis. Right? We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk by the Spirit today rather than being filled with our flesh. Right? I, I think that's kind of what we're talking about. And so here, he seems to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit, again, I, I, I doubt that there's, it's not a coincidence that they're fasting and praying and now all of a sudden he's being filled with the Spirit to be able to say these things. And what he says is pretty bold, right? You yeah. son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness. Yeah. Uh, I have never said that to person based on what you said yesterday. I'm guessing you have not either. But apparently in this case, <laughs> no, sir. Apparently in this case, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and said that to him, which yeah. is very interesting. Right. And which flies in the face of what a lot of churches would say that, you know, a spirit filled person would say, right? You know, they would they would never say anything like that. And yet this is the language that Paul uses. It's the um, same language that Jesus uses in uh, John chapter 8 when he says, you know, you're of your father, the devil, and you desire to do the will of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him, right? And I, I want us to recognize that, yeah, he's not saying this to someone who's curious about God or yeah. wanting to learn more, right? But this is someone who's staying in opposition to the gospel. Yeah. This is someone who's trying to prevent someone else from coming to faith in Christ, right? Someone who yeah. uh, practices magic, who's a false prophet. Like um, you see often that we see often that when Jesus like had his strongest rebukes, it was yeah. for the people who were the most opposed yeah. um, to the gospel and to what he is teaching, and seemed to hold like positions of spiritual leadership. And that's often when he. Man, those were the people that he addressed so strongly. So I don't think this would just go on out and you know use this against anyone we yeah. hear. But I I do think that as we see with Jesus and as we see with Paul, that man, if there is someone who is very much opposed to the gospel and they're that far, um, they're that darkened in their understanding that they don't that not only are they not like they're not only not okay with seeing this person like come to know Christ, but like they feel like they have to stop that. Yeah. They have to interfere. I think that you need a stronger rebuke yeah. to help wake that person up. And I don't know much of a stronger rebuke than being blinded by God yeah. to help 
really wake you up at, to recognize, yeah. man, I'm, I'm rebelling against him. Yeah, I think, I think there, there probably are some people in some churches who would say verse 10 gives them the license to use this type of language all the time. And, that, and clearly that's not Saul's normal way of interacting Absolutely with not. non-believers. In fact, you look at his speeches in the rest of the book of Acts, like he's usually patient with people and explaining things to them, like even those who don't know Christ and don't seem to have a huge interest, right? So this, this is rare even for Paul. I think we have to say that. But I think you're right to say, like, sometimes it's okay for us, like, in particular, when a person's opposing the gospel, and in this case, trying to prevent someone else from coming to the faith, to maybe to say, you know, a little more strongly, no, this is what we're going to preach. Like, mm. and, you know, you can't stand in the way. Like, we're going to, like, there mm. is a place for, for being bold like this. However, I would just say the person who wants to use this as a, a, a weapon to call everyone a son of the devil is probably not understanding the context correctly. Right. Because if you look at the, the whole the totality of Paul's ministry he does not do this type of thing very often neither right. did Jesus right like now right. on occasion they did and and I think that's instructive for us but I think what we shouldn't take away from this is we should be calling everyone a son of the devil like that's probably not the most helpful <laughs> probably way not great application yeah probably not great application all right that's all I got for today you got anything else on Acts 13 I think that's it okay Next week, we are looking at Acts 13, 13 to 52. It's a fairly long speech by Paul. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's, it's really kind of his first extended speech in the book of Acts, um, if, if I remember correctly. And so I, I think it will be, I think we'll see some parallels with Stephen's speech, which is interesting. Um, but I think it will be, I think it will be good. So uh, I would encourage you to read ahead next week for Acts 13, 13 to 52. And uh, in the meantime, of course, dive into the Word of God in other ways as well. Pray, maybe fast this week in light of what we read in Mm. Acts 13. Um, But let's try to be led by the Spirit this week and not by our flesh. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time.